0: a life coach and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. This is Lady Boy Gigi. And I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Tonight's topic is on the invisible forces of sex-negative social conditioning. And I've brought this topic up and we'll be reading her comment a little later, but I had a person write in and say that she really enjoyed learning from me because she was able now to talk more about topics that she's never been able to talk about in the past. And I kind of thought about this a bit and I know that in my life I've been influenced and I know many of us have without realizing how deep the influence goes because it's always been in our lives our whole life, some of these sex-negative influences. And it can be really kind of difficult to identify them because they're so hidden and invisible. And I find that that's part of the power of naming and reclaiming, is to be able to identify things and give them a name. And one of the things I realized was that For a long time, it was hard for me to get really into anal sex. I had a lot of taboos around it. And part of the reason it was so taboo was because it's so strongly enforced in our culture. And I call it social bullying. When someone makes offhand comments about like, oh, Nothing should go in where things come out. (laughs) Or playing with a bat, that's just sick. (laughs) Often, even many jokes, and especially jokes that kind of target something, often will kind of be the act as the sex-negative social police (laughs) and keep us in line and keep us away from... This even discussing some of these topics. And so I kind of realized that through this process and it took me a while to even identify these forces going on in my life, there must be a lot of people out there that have social condition sex negative social conditioning forces at work that they're not even aware of. And I remember early on, The first time I masturbated openly in Temple and put on a sex show, it took me, you know, I went through a long process to get to that point. And I had all these fears going through my mind. What if I can't get a heart on? Or what if people watching think, oh, that's a weird way to do it. (laughs) Or you're doing it all wrong, Gigi. And, you know, all that stuff came from somewhere. It didn't come from me. And I realized a big part of it was the social taboo we have about masturbating in front of others. And one part of the process for me was that I, before I started masturbating in front of groups, I did so with a partner that I was intimate with. Several partners over the years, actually. (laughs) And I read the book by Carol Queen, Exhibitionism for the Shy. And one of the things she recommends is don't start out doing things all the way. Take little steps towards it. And one of the steps I took was I started inviting my partner to watch me masturbate and then had her him, masturbate for me, and that really broke open the taboo. and then after that, it didn't feel so, I didn't feel so self-conscious when I put on masturbation shows in Temple. And I bring this up because what's so wrong or bad about putting on a masturbation show for people that want to see it, and I always let people know ahead of time, this is going to be going on you don't want to see it, don't come. <laughs> Bad pun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I have Paul with me.
1: Hey, guys.
0: And one of the things that also sparked off this topic was the other night we were talking, and one of the things he said was that he d- didn't realize where how much sex-negative conditioning had held him back sexually, and it really kind of inhibited him in many ways. And would you like to share a little bit about that and some of the
1: yeah, for particular
0: sure. situations?
1: So the topic that we're talking about tonight is completely like insidious, because you don't notice that it's happening. That's why we call tonight's show the invisible forces of sex negative conditioning because it started out when i was very young you know i remember in middle school and high school like the the labels that uh people had for people that they didn't like uh, fudge packer or butt pirate or you know something like that and it's something that was just part of the way that people spoke it wasn't I grew up in the 90s where oh that's gay was a huge insult to like whatever the thing that you were talking about starts when you're young and that's how you don't notice that it's going on so when I started realizing I had an irrational fear over anal play it completely shocked me because in my like later life in my adult life I had gay friends I had heard all about anal sex I didn't think that it was wrong or bad like in my conscious mind but all of these earlier experiences still informed a lot of my thinking and the uh, a lot of the way that I approached things, and, and you know that's kind of the way that things work, and that's part of this social socialization process that we're talking about, where when you're introduced to an idea and it gets reinforced over and over again, when you're really young, even when you get older and your ideas get more nuanced and you start thinking about things more in a different way, that old programming is still there and it still Mm -hmm. affects the way that you interact with the world.
0: Yeah, and it also can be so inhibiting. I know that for me, just playing with myself anally was something that was for a long time very secret and it felt, you know, like I was doing something really bad. <laughs> Although I also knew it felt so good. Mm-hmm. Because I'd gotten into anal play long before I started getting some of the messaging. I didn't even know what it was, I just knew, ooh, poop comes out here and I started exploring. I didn't do it as poop was coming out, but <laughs> but I started realizing, oh, there's some good sensations down there. And it took me a while to overcome some of the taboos that did finally start seeping in. Some of the, And I think part of it was from many of the jokes and also some of the people that would put out this really strong statement that you would be seen as an offender, kind of look back at it and I think, you know, these were social bullies in a way. They were controlling people's even ability to question or discuss a topic by making it into this kind of weird joke where if you brought it up, then you were the brunt of the joke. <laughs> or at least that's very strongly implied. It comes up in so many different areas for people. I've seen people that come to temple and they're afraid to get out of their clothes and be naked. It's like a lot of that comes from this sex-negative social conditioning. I've been studying sociology and Ancient philosophy and many disciplines that look at ancient civilizations and how nudity was just a part of daily life. People didn't, not everybody could afford clothes. Many people did go around naked, especially the slaves (laughs) in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. They didn't give them clothes, and it was just considered a part of life. It's not until we got further along in social modernization and culture that all of a sudden clothing became required and clothing was not an option in public anyway. And even some parts of our history, we have eras where even to make love, you couldn't fully get naked where you could see each other. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that is really a very strong socialization process to enforce that so strongly. And it's not till we question it and can discuss it and go, well, is this really true? And of all the people that used to kind of insinuate that anal play was bad and disgusting and queer and all this other stuff, I think back and think, wow, they really are missing out. And who knows, maybe in secret they played with themselves. <laughs> Oftentimes if people complain too loudly, often the case is, is that there's something behind it. <laughs> but any
1: thoughts? Yeah, Definitely bringing up nudity as like one of these uh conventions that is often made taboo through the social con- conditioning that reminds me of a a girl who I was uh, I I briefly had a relationship with and we would have sex but After we had sex, like the minute we finished having sex, most of the time she would take a shower. But if she didn't take a shower, she would always put on clothing afterwards. Mm -hmm. She refused to be naked past the time that we were having sex. And it always struck me as so odd. But I know that her parents were British and... That was one of the things that they instilled in her was a general fear of her body and that it, it should be covered. If she was ever wearing a shirt where her nipples thro- showed through the shirt, that was just so obscene. It was mm-hmm. <laughs> It was so terrible. And that carried through into her adulthood. And, you know, she was... A kinky person, she was a burner, she was an open-minded person. She, from the outside, seemed like someone that wouldn't be that way. But because of this early social con- conditioning, it, it was something that she had to deal with. And yeah. it made a huge difference in her life.
0: Mm-hmm. In my situation, I've seen this over and over again through temple where people are just too body conscious to open up and really enjoy. I can see the struggle in them. It's like they want to, but it's like something's holding them back. And I think that something is this invisible force of social conditioning, sex negative social conditioning, And it can inhibit us and make us kind of paralyzed to really fully experience life and enjoy our bodies.
1: (laughs) Okay, so I've been part of a lot of different communities. I've been part of the pagan community. I've been part of burner community. I used to do rainbow gatherings, and then various different arts communities um, that I've been a part of. And luckily in a lot of those communities, there is enough body acceptance that eventually people like kind of come out of their shell and you, you start seeing what real human bodies look like naked, but I've I've seen enough people that are new to that community to see that kind of transformation between thinking like, oh, I could never do that. That is for pretty people. I, I don't think I'm pretty. Or I don't think, you know, I think I'm too fat. Or I think I'm too skinny. Or I think I'm too X, Y, or Z. To do that. And and then eventually they see enough people that have really human bodies and some of the time they do break out of their shell. But it's like this process that has to happen for them to get comfortable enough to where they think that it's okay for them to... Be nude or to express themselves sexually. And it takes, and what they're getting over is the social conditioning that we're talking about.
0: Yeah. And I think there's some fears. Oh, yeah. Um, for both males and females, but they're a little different. I was reading an article the other day or a post, I forget where, I think it was on a, one of the sex list serves I'm on. Mine. And they were mentioning how for men, men are so wounded because their desire is so readily apparent. And if they were to go naked and all of a sudden become sexually aroused, it would show immediately <laughs> or in the, even wearing clothes. Oftentimes, it will show immediately through the clothing. You get this big, long bonery going. It's like a tent pole sticking out of your pants. <laughs> and that can be a real fear. And for women, I think there's other fears, especially around moon time, mm-hmm. Of, oh, I don't want someone to see when I'm bleeding.
1: Mm-hmm. Or see a string hanging
0: down. Or see a string hanging down or any number of things. And there's this kind of shame and shaming of when a woman's having her period. And that's a natural process. Mm -hmm. I mean, women have periods. Mm -hmm. I had them my first year of puberty. (laughs) Although I didn't know what it was at the time. But oftentimes there's... These little strings of fear because we think, oh, people are going to reject me if they see that string or they see my boner or they see me aroused. And at some level, we get this message through sex-negative social conditioning that, oh, if I get a heart on and people see it, somehow that's bad. And guess what? Men get spontaneous hard ons, especially right after puberty. Mm-hmm. And they recur over and over throughout the day and night. Mm-hmm. Hell, I still get <laughs> spontaneous erections. Oh, I, I <laughs> and it's not, sometimes I'm not even thinking about sex. It's
2: just.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The body does what
1: the body does.
0: Yeah. Well, the penis has its little brain and says, (laughs) okay. (laughs) I'm getting hard now. (laughs) And I think it's because we wear clothing and we try to block all this out that it becomes a fear. Mm -hmm. And it becomes such a stigma. Mm -hmm. If we were more open and free about our bodies, Mm -hmm. we go, oh, this is normal functioning of the body. There's nothing to be ashamed of here. Mm -hmm. There's not ready to hump on anything that moves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just because I get a burner, it's like, it's delicious and it feels good. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to go around screwing everything. I mean, it's like, and I hear that, you know, that's one of the myths I hear often when men wake up with a boner or hard on and they convince their girlfriend oh you've got to do something about this yeah i need some no. assistance and no <laughs>
1: what did you do when you were single
0: <laughs> well not only that but you don't even have to masturbate oh uh, i it mean it will go down on its own <laughs> i mean
1: that's what i'm saying most yeah. of the time i've been single a lot <laughs> You know, mm. most of the time it wasn't so much that I had to take care of it. I just, I had it to wait five minutes itself. to pee, you know.
0: Yeah. Hell, I even learned how to pee with a heart on. Oh, I know. <laughs> but that's because I love golden showers. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes when I'm giving them, it gets all hard and excited. Mm. <laughs> and even everything about... Any type of body elimination is kind of looked at as taboo and somehow forbidden and wrong.
1: Yeah, I I remember I was on Facebook earlier and I'm part of a group of feminists and one of the people posted this like video of a guy who was like. Pretending that he was going down on a woman and it smelled really strong and he made a really like over dramatic show of being like, oh no, your vagina smells too gross. I'm not going down on you. And like, you know, that, you know, that was to get people who were like, yeah, like, oh, vagina is gross. And like, when it smells, I'm not going to go down on a girl. But like seriously vagina smells the way that vagina smells it you know it's what it smells like and to me because I have positive associations with it, I love that smell mm-hmm. I, I love the taste <laughs> I I love everything about vagina uh, oh, and me I love too. everything about <laughs> dick for that matter too but there's this this, like undercurrent that what we're talking about that negative socialization that happens where oh a woman's vagina should smell like flowers and daisies and roses when that's not what your vagina should smell like your vagina should smell like vagina it should taste like vagina and there's nothing wrong with that and it's There's this, like, macho idea that guys have where they're like, oh, you know, unless I can't smell your vagina, unless it smells fresh, I'm not going to go down on you. But I expect you to give me head no matter how much, like, ball sweat I have going on. And that's completely backwards and wrong. But that's part of this socialization that we're talking about where guys can get away with having natural body smells but women can't
0: Mm -hmm. and that's kind of part of that socialization process and and you're also touching a little bit on that social bullying go down on me but i'm not going down on you because it smells different (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that i'm not I know in my experience, the only time a woman has ever spelt, smelled a little off was when she had an infection, mm-hmm. a yeast infection, or some type of chemistry going bad down there.
1: Yeah, and most and of the time, they know that's going
0: on. Yeah, and they got on some medicine and cleared it up, and mm-hmm. afterwards, it was great, and I've even gone down on women during meantime oh yeah, and I've had sex with women during meantime, and I kind of like it. it adds a whole nother dimension
1: oh i I absolutely agree i'm I'm a big fan of it my my ex lover said that that's the reason she used to keep brown brown to- towels in her house,
0: yeah. <laughs> And I think part of what I wanted to kind of get across on this show is that do we want to bow down to this social bullying to maintain a sex-negative lifestyle, or can we stand up and question for ourselves? Now, maybe you don't like the taste of a woman. That's perfectly okay. But oftentimes when I hear it said, it's like, It's not just that I personally don't. It's that everybody should not like this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of implied underneath the message.
1: And I think a lot of people who have like personal issues with the way that it tastes, it's not actually because they think it tastes bad or they think it smells bad. It's because they are conditioned to believe that they are supposed to think that it tastes bad or smells bad.
0: To admit, once again, it gets back to if you question or discuss it and say, well, does it really taste bad? Then you're seeing this one, the people that, oh, you're into that? How disgusting. And that's kind of implied in the sex negative social conditioning message. Is that if you even question or discuss this, then you're you're a culprit. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I guess part of what I'm saying here is that maybe it's time we open these things up for discussion. Find out for yourself: is it good or bad for you, without the pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of what i the message I say and living a more sex-positive lifestyle is question what sexual behaviors are right for me Mm -hmm. without the influence of all this conditioning. Mm -hmm. And I remember a woman a while back, and she just got in my face about being monogamous and that everybody should be, and this was the right Everybody has this uh, soul connection. There's only one and only one, and this kind of match-made-in-heaven kind of mentality. And I said, well, that's not my experience. It may be for you. But she just got so adamant about this and just... And I finally questioned it and said why are you getting on me about this? I have no problem with you living a monogamous lifestyle. Go for it if that's your thing. But for everybody to have to practice that, doesn't fit me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just set her off again. And I realized, where is this coming from? Does she really believe this mm-hmm. that deeply? That Or is this coming from some kind of social conditioning message. Mm -hmm. Is this something that she just grew up and monogamy was the only way? Mm -hmm. I doubt it. I think that this was something she was taught and taught very sternly about. And to have that that degree of angst about anybody being non-monogamous just really took me aback a little bit it was like why do you have a problem with me being polyamorous
1: when it I, doesn't affect your life
0: yeah i'm not going to come after you <laughs> i have no interest in screwing with anybody's monogamous relationship oh i know it's like you're hands off as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i respect your choice in monogamy And I would expect you to respect my choices in being polyamorous. That that is a legitimate relationship model.
1: Yeah, I remember even though my mom and dad when I, I were young were both progressive, like I remember watching a talk show with my mom about swingers and her talking about how she thought it was so weird like how could you not be monogamous and all of that I actually knew that I was polyamorous for two years before my mom died and I never told her that I was because a I didn't have any partners at the time I knew that my mom was open-minded enough that if I had like active partners and I could show her that our relationship was working, she would be able to accept it. But it wasn't something that I could talk to her, even though she was one of the more open-minded people that I knew, just because since it was theoretical, she would she would just think that I was misguided. And
0: oftentimes I find that behind some of the stronger taboos, People refuse to even talk about it in a, or even discuss it. It's like, it's just unacceptable. <laughs> End of discussion. And that's part of how this sex-negative social conditioning works so effectively, is that we don't give it a name. We don't talk about it. We don't openly discuss and explore the possibilities. It's just shut off. And by giving it names and discussing openly and saying, well, is this true? Do we start the process of breaking that to be? Well, we've come to the midpoint of our show already. (laughs) Time travels fast sometimes when you're having fun. I would like to remind everybody that we have put up a new page on my website so that you can get the links to my email address, you can get the links to the podcast, to my Patreon page, to all kinds of things on that page. And so if you are getting something out of this show, please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. And also, On my website, it's ravenslayerleather.com, we have many training videos and I put a new one up that's free of charge. It's the Guided Erotic Meditation and I take you on this amazing inner journey into erotica just by hearing my voice or if you prefer, you can write your own, record it and hear your own voice guide you through. And you can base it on the writings I did and change them to personalize it for yourself. So that's available. And I'm working on a new, it's going to be another free training series that I'm working on. And it's going to be on just opening up and learning new techniques to become more sexually free. And it's basically designed for partners that have kind of lost that spark. Or maybe that even partners that are just brand new to it and want to go a little deeper into their relationship. It's all about forming a stronger bond with your partner and connecting at a deeper level utilizing some tantric techniques and some breathing techniques and a whole bunch of stuff that I'm building into this. And I'm just kind of coming along with the next video. It'll probably be a few weeks, maybe a month before I have it ready, but keep an eye out for it. As soon as it's ready, I'll have it on the podcast page for download, and it will be free of charge. For our station break, I do want to encourage you to check out our training videos, and also check out and see if you'd like to sponsor us. We do have a lot of costs involved in putting on the show, and I've been paying for them out of pocket up to this point. But I would love some support in this endeavor, because I do want to create a more sex-positive world. <laughs> any comments, thoughts?
1: One thing that you uh, forgot to to mention that is that if there are any listeners out there that would like to reach out to us, you can email Gigi at admin at RavensLayerLeather.com
0: and I do have that email link
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> as well as a link to our new membership site.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: if you want to join the and the membership sh- site is free of charge for the time being. There may come a time down the road that I need to start charging but I'll keep it a minimal charge when and if I do. But the Membership site is an area where you can join up and we'll go deeper into discussions. And if you have questions or comments or even can show me new stuff, I'd love to see it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So consider becoming a member. And the link to join the membership site is on the RavenSlayerLeather.com website. And it's on the podcast page. So check it out. Brand new page up and on. Oh, I had a question for you. What's that? What are some of the specific things you found were blocking you once we got involved in opening up your blocks and working on your abilities to enjoy more fully uh, sexual freedom.
1: Well, one of the the big ones, you know, that we touched on earlier was my anal taboo. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't, you know, like I said, I I really didn't think that I had one until I started coming face to face with it. It's really odd how these things that happened to you when you were younger that you kind of put outside of your your thinking Mm -hmm. uh really start to affect you later in life and I I remember another like homoerotic uh experience that really affected me was there was um a boy that I had played with when I was first or second grade I was pretty young and we wound up playing a game where we wound up sucking each other's dick. We were both the same age, and it was innocent exploration. And I enjoyed the game a lot. But then after that experience, afterwards, he acted really weird towards me and made excuses why he couldn't hang out with me. And You know, things got very weird between me and him after that happened, even though at the time he enjoyed that. And it kind of, like, reinforced that, like, anti-gay sentiment in me, even though, you know, I was around gay people and I never had a problem with gay people. But that experience, like, kind of cemented for me if I experimented with people, it could ruin our relationships. And even after that, what I would consider my first gay experience where I was able to achieve an erection and all of that was with a, a different good friend of mine. And he was in his 20s and I was 19 and he had been one of my best friends for years at that point, and we had a night where we experimented a little bit, and it didn't ruin our friendship, but for the next couple of weeks, things were a little bit awkward between us. That also further reinforced that taboo against homosexual desire.
0: Yeah. And I think part of that, and we've, you know, we've had discussions in the bisexual community, is that a lot of people have these desires, but they have internalized biphobia or internalized homophobia. And so once they've experienced it, then that internalized phobias start jumping in and, I've experienced that myself with some play partners in the past. I once had this young Catholic boy after me for months. He kept saying, oh, I want to have sex with you. So finally I said, okay, let's do it. And we had really good sex. And, I mean, immediately after he came and orgasmed, he jumped out of the bed, and he just started on this rant about, oh, you've stained me for life. I'm going to hell now, and just on and on. And how could you do this to me? And I said, hey, wait a minute. You came to me. <laughs> you gave me full consent. You were the one begging me for it. And I realized that after learning at a bi-conference, he had some pretty deep-rooted homophobia. He had some deep-rooted, internalized homophobia. And yet he had such strong desires for the experience. Mm -hmm. And that can be a very deep conflict for someone.
1: Yeah, and that, that brings us to the role that religion plays in, in this socialization. And it's, it's such a big force. You live in America and Christianity plays a big force here, but, you know, wherever you live, the predominant religion definitely is a big force in everyone's life, whether they follow that religion or not. And It's really sad that it causes such a ripple effect in society. Even people who are not members of the predominant religion pick up on the general attitude that caused by that religion, and it ripples throughout society. And it does build some deep seated fears and causes people to really hate themselves. And that's, and the that's internalized
0: really sad. homophobia. Yeah. Or biphobia, or even sexual phobias. hmm. <laughs> There's, I've had female partners that had some very oral phobias, mm-hmm. but had the desire. And it can work on many different levels. Mm-hmm. And that's partly why I do that. What I do here is to help educate people and say you can overcome this stuff. Mm-hmm. I've helped people work through this stuff.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> and
0: part of it is naming it, mm-hmm. questioning where did this come from? Is it really true? Mm-hmm. I'm not staying for life from mm-hmm. eating pussy or sucking dick. <laughs> Or taking it, I've done Bend Over Boyfriend where girls mm-hmm. used to strap on. I mm-hmm. had boys fuck me up the ass. and mm-hmm. it's, I started learning to listen to my body and say, wow, this feels amazingly good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the things I found out about anal sex
2: mm-hmm.
0: is uh, anus is... Uh, gateway to the emotions Mm -hmm. and talk about having a whole different type of orgasm when you start having anal orgasms I sometimes giggle and cry and feel this rush of emotions with the orgasm that is so powerful and so good it's incredible where it takes me and oh, I, I know. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. When I just play with my cock, it's like, or play with my feminine parts in the front, the orgasms doesn't have that emotional richness. Mm-hmm. And when I say I cry, I'm not crying tears of sadness. Mm-hmm. It's more of a tears of joy. Yeah, of this tears of bliss. Mm -hmm. And so once I started questioning and also listening to what my body desired and what my body needed and realizing that, hey, I didn't make my body. This body was made for me by nature. Mm -hmm. And it was designed for sex, Mm -hmm. all types of sexual acts that feel pleasurable and good if I can just get beyond that social conditioning that says this is bad or sinful. And part of what I'm working on in this new training is bringing the sacredness back to sex, that all forms of sex are sacred acts. If we develop the right attitudes and approach it in the right ways, it can be very amazing where it can take you on a spiritual level. And I'm not real big on religions, but I am very big on spirituality. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not against religions unless they become stonewalled and say, oh, you can't live the life you want to live because our religion says you can't. Mm -hmm. No, I won't buy that one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, I will respect anybody that is in a religion to be able to worship and believe in what they want to, or what is within their religious kind of bounds, as long as it doesn't cross the line and say, oh, you need to be saved and join our religion. Mm-hmm. No, um, I've already got my spiritual or practices.
1: <laughs> or follow certain rules. Yeah,
0: or follow certain rules. And and I think it's important to really question. I know that many religions have some very arbitrary rules. And the question is this really doing something for me at a spiritual level or is it something that's and I had to question myself on that with with all the Christian dogma that was taught to me as a kid mm-hmm. and I started studying more and seeing where did this come from some of this stuff and I realized that a lot of it came from the Old Testament and why would Even Christ at one point denounced the Old Testament and said this is the new way. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) He threw it all out. He said that's not the way to be. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's the religion that's telling me that the Old Testament is right. It's not the spiritual practice that Christ proposed for people to follow. Mm -hmm. And I realized that Sometimes religion can get in the way of spiritual pursuits.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: And I'm not saying you have to change your your religion, but maybe change your spiritual practices within that religion Mm -hmm. and question what's right for you in that path and follow what is right for you. And I think any religion that's start saying, well, you can't do that, then all of a sudden it's becoming something other than a spiritual practice.
1: Yeah. There's there's a real problem where people lose the the spiritual insight of religion through being overly Inundated with the dogma of the religion.
0: Yeah. And one of the things, it's kind of weird, but I really admire some of the things that Christ did and said. hmm And I've even incorporated some of the spiritual practices based on his examples. But to say, oh, Gays are bad, or gay is sinful, or sex is sinful.
1: Which Jesus never said. He
0: never said that. And where the Christian religion comes up with all that is not from Christ, who they propose they are worshiping. In fact, he turned all that down mm-hmm. and said, no, this isn't the way to go. <laughs> And the other one that he did say very blatantly was, judge not for if you do, thou will be judged even harsher. Mm -hmm. Pick the, what was it, the (laughs) moat out of your own eye before you pull the splinter from your brothers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, quit judging each other. And you know, that's a beautiful belief system. It's a beautiful spiritual practice to say, hey, I need to look, fix my own, <laughs> my own shop before I go in and fix yours.
1: <laughs> I remember when I was in high school, I I had a, a really good friend who was Christian at the time, and I noticed that, The the people she hung out with were people that would be labeled as sinners, but she truly believed that people like me, people like the friends that I had at the time, which still are a lot of my good friends, she thought they were better than most of the other people that she met that were supposedly Christian. And, you know, I asked her one time why she hung out with people who used drugs and were somewhat promiscuous and did a lot of things that were kind of against the Christian teaching. And she told me that it is God's job to judge people. It is not mine. Mm -hmm. And she truly believed it.
0: Yeah. I think that one of the things that really kind of opened my eyes was the fact that my father was a minister. And I saw some of the hypocrisy get up on the pulpit and preach one thing and then turn around and do just the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I realized even a priest wasn't some kind of special holy man that had God's grace or something, everybody has to follow a spiritual path and develop what they consider a spiritual path and follow that fully before you start preaching it to other people. And I don't even like the idea of preaching it to other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's good to give information out there. But not to preach it, so to speak. Yeah. And that's what I try to do on this show for the most part is mm-hmm. to give another perspective. Mm-hmm. Say, I hey, question this. But I don't say, Oh, you have to follow this way. Mm-hmm. It's like try it out, see if it works for you. But doesn't don't. Yeah. But I'm I'm not hurt either way. Yeah. If you don't follow <laughs> some of the things I talk about. Mm-hmm. I know that the things I'm into, a lot of people aren't going to be into them, mm-hmm. and that's okay. And I'm not going to be into some of the things other people are into. Yeah, I mean, I'm not into the whole concept of practicing ritualized cannibalism. <laughs> I find it kind of disgusting in a way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yet every Sunday, that's <laughs> practiced wide, far and wide through this country. Oh yeah. And so I just, I'm not going to say, oh, that's bad. Mm -hmm. It's what you're into. Go for it. (laughs) But I'm not going to go in for it.
1: Yeah. Especially since it doesn't actually hurt anyone.
0: Yeah. It doesn't harm anybody. And I don't think even Jesus would say, oh, You didn't practice what I told you to with ritualized cannibalism. You're not eating my body and drinking my blood. You're going to hell. No, I don't really believe in heaven or hell. Well, I mean, (laughs) also,
1: I I think when Jesus was talking about that, he was talking to his 12 disciples. He wasn't saying, everyone should do this every Sunday. Yeah. Forever.
0: (laughs) And that it can only be sanctioned by a priest that i think his actual commandment was when two or three are gathered together do this in remembrance of me he didn't say oh you've got to go get a priest to bless all this first
1: (laughs) yeah also i would say jesus probably didn't know that two thousand years later there would be millions and millions maybe a, a billion congregates that we're doing this. like Mm -hmm. He thought it was going to be a small group of people who followed his teachings. He didn't (laughs) think that we would build a religion out of him.
0: It's hard to say what he thought or what he didn't think. I don't want to jump into trying to second-guess it, but I do think it's fair to say that from the philosophy behind his teachings... He was more about bringing love Mm -hmm. and forgiveness and acceptance, Mm -hmm. not judgment and enforcement and damnation. (laughs) And a lot of that came from, not from his own preaching, but from some of his disciples. And Mm -hmm. So I think that often you have to dig a little deeper and see what did... Jesus actually say. Mm -hmm. And I also look at the Buddha Mm -hmm. for inspiration and to many other spiritual practices, Mm -hmm. paganism. And I find many amazing practices that I can take on and that work for me. But I'm non-religious. I don't, even with Mm -hmm. paganism, I'm not very religious in that sense. And most pagans aren't.
1: You you are far from dogmatic.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think the closest I get to any type of dogma is in having lots of sex. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of a dogma I follow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because sex is so good. But that's only my personal thing. Mm -hmm. I don't expect everybody to fuck like bunny rabbits. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. So I kind of want to go back to something that you said earlier. You mentioned that a lot of women in our culture have an oral taboo. By that, do you mean that they have a taboo of going down on other people or having other people go down on them? It's
0: more having other people go, well, I can't speak for, I hate to use generalized terms, but What I've run across is that there's a lot of women that are concerned because, and it's partly through some of this sex-negative conditioning and things people say, oh, I don't like the smell of it, or, oh, she she might be about to start her period. I wouldn't want blood involved. Mm -hmm. And and so I think there's this kind of deep ingrained fear that, Oh, I'm going to cross a boundary if I let someone go down on me.
1: Yeah, I I think that you're very right about that. Like, I at least in my experience what I've noticed is that there are a lot of women that will happily go down on a guy, but you know, they get a little insecure when you want to go down on them because they're worried about the smell or the taste or about the fact that of they course. might have their period. <laughs> and I I definitely think that that is part of this. But that's
0: not for all women, because oh, I've also of had not. many girlfriends. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course not. <laughs>
1: of course not. There's,
0: it varies from person to person.
1: It does, but I do think that there's more of a tendency for women to be afraid of the reaction of their partners than there is for men to be afraid of the reaction of their partners.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I've known of a lot of women that complain about wouldn't mind sucking cock if they just be a little cleaner about it and wash properly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you haven't bathed in a few days and you haven't really cleaned your genitals... Mm -hmm. They can get kind of (laughs) gnarly. And that's for both men and women. It's good hygiene is great for good sex.
1: (laughs) Uh, I I would say, in general, if you know that you're going to have sex, you should probably take a shower beforehand.
0: And there's been times when I didn't know I was going to have sex. Uh And I said, well, why don't we start out with a bubble, champagne bubble bath? (laughs) Uh huh. Yeah. And then we both wash together, mm-hmm. and that can be so juicy. I mm-hmm. mean, having the time to scrub each other's bodies mm-hmm. and get them all soapy and w- rinsed, and it's can be a great w- foreplay, so to speak. Mm-hmm.
1: And one thing I'll mention, if you find yourself in the position where you haven't had a shower and sex is going to happen imminently, it might be a good idea to carry baby wipes or wet wipes around with you. Because I know that at a lot of the festivals that I've been at, it's hard to get a shower. And one of the ways that people get around that is by taking a a wet wipe shower.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a little sensitive to some of the chemistry and... So I, uh, I would rather just use soap and water.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, when mm. it's available, yes.
0: Well, I always make sure it's available, uh, even if I have to do a quickie wash rag sponge bath.
1: <laughs> but you can't. Well, you can't easily keep uh, stuff for a sponge bath in your car. You know, if you meet someone at a bar. Hey, well, then
0: I'm not camping. I'll take him home and jump in the shower. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. But there's ways to get around it. <laughs> in fact, I picked up a guy one time and brought him home, and I noticed, oh, I think we could use a good shower. I'd rather shower before we jump in the sack. and So I invited him to have a bubble bath. And we jumped in, and... We bathed each other, and then we had really good hot sex, but it was nice and clean. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've had times where guys weren't very well washed, and it wasn't as pleasant, Mm -hmm. especially for the oral.
1: Oh, I know. (laughs) I've been there.
0: But we're getting far afield.
1: Sorry about that. No,
0: that's okay. This is good to talk about because... I think good hygiene is important for really enjoying sex to its fullest. Now, some people are into the, uh, what should I call it, dirty sex. Oh, yeah. And that can be a turn on for some people if you're into it. And you find a partner that's into it, go for it. Uh, Don't object. (laughs) I think it can be pretty awesome if that's what you're into I just know I like it clean. Mm -hmm. But we're up to the end of our show tonight. Any last comments before we do our
1: ending? So what I would suggest our listeners to do, because like me, you might think that you are an open-minded person and that you know, you've gotten over all of your sexual blocks or over a lot of this, um, this programming that happens. But I would really suggest people to, to take some time and really think about it and really look deep into your past and see if there's some sexual blocks that you might have that you didn't realize that you had and if you discover any spend some time thinking about it talk to people that you really trust about it and try to work through those uh those sexual blocks because if you do it can lead you to have a much more fulfilling sex life
0: oh yes definitely and I think part of what's important is to get out of this show tonight is that whether you know there's blocks or not, would you want to have social conditioning be the energy that blocks you from really fully experiencing a good, healthy sex life? And I think that's my bottom line question. Would you like to experience a more open and free and freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults? Would you like to have that, those experiences that a part of you craves deep inside? I'm not asking anybody to do something they don't want to do, but to explore and say, is it something I want to do or don't want to do? Or is it something that through preconceived notions and ideas and through sex-negative social conditioning, is just blocking me from living a really full and fulfilling sex life? Any
1: thoughts? I I, I think that you summed it up pretty well because that's... That really is the thing about what we're talking about is that what we try to do on this show is to to free people to have a better sex life. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not you,
0: promoting you, that you should do anything that you mm-hmm. don't want to do at yeah. some level. Yeah. But I do want to open the door to having the freedom to explore for yourself, to find out. Maybe you live in this kind of world where you've gotten so closed off sexually. And if you have, and you want to open up sexually, then check some of this stuff out. Well, we did have a friend of mine that I know through Aphrodite's temple and through, well, I'm not sure where I know her either through the Burning Man community or it's where I run Temple. I run Temple several places, but she wrote to me and said, Gigi, you have taught me so much about being sex positive and much more. Now I can talk about these topics with confidence. She says, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It's from her comment that I kind of thought I had the kind of basis for this show tonight, and so I dedicated to her because this show to her because she kind of sparked something in me. I know that I influence people, and I have a good impact to help them open doors that have been closed all their lives, and so I get a lot of good feedback from people saying, I'm so happy you helped me see a whole new way of looking at this and of discussing it. And if you're of scientific mind, I mean, that's the basis of science. Question, discuss, theorize, and then duplicate and see if it really works. And I guess that's all I'm trying to say tonight is check this out and see if it works for you. So on that note, have a very good night. Enjoy those nocturnal emissions. Explore your bodies. Listen to your bodies. Let them guide you. Listen to what your heart tells you. Form that genital heart connection and explore with the innocence of your inner child and see where it takes you. Have a good night. Good night. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me and developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show
2: The Home Depot tiene regalos para crear alegría navideña y hacer todos tus proyectos
0: con mucha pila. Aprovecha los ahorros de Black Friday, compra un kit de baterías básico seleccionado y llévate una herramienta elegible gratis. Así tienes más potencia para tus proyectos navideños, porque tu manera de celebrar las fiestas nos inspira. The Home Depot. Haces más, logras más. Oferta válida en tiendas participantes y por internet del 23 de octubre de 2023
2: a 28 de enero 2024. Una por transacción El descuento se aplica al pagar. La lista de herramientas elegibles está disponible en tienda y por internet.